chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men? Have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals On his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry. Was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you never have given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Amen. 
Now, last week we began our study of these prob- parables on the lost sheep, the lost coin, and today the lost sons. And one of the things that I argued uh, last week and want to continue to do so today is that I think Luke sets the context that I think controls the interpretation of these parables. If you look at verse one and two, we didn't read that just a minute ago, but uh, we saw it last week. I think it's important that we remind ourselves that this is the context in which Jesus is telling these three parables. Notice here that Jesus has been meeting with tax collectors and sinners and he has been fellowshipping with them and the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling against Jesus, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. So there are two groups of people in view in this chapter. We have on the one hand those who are tax collectors and sinners and those who are the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, again, just to remind you, uh, boys and girls from last week, that the tax collectors had a bad reputation among the people of God. Uh, They are not just uh, IRS agents, but they are people who are supporting the enemy. They are aiding and abetting the occupying forces of the Roman Empire. And so they tended to be occupied by people who were socially marginalized anyway. People who already may have had a bad reputation. You might think uh, in our own culture, maybe the closest thing to this might be uh, people who are in the mob today. Uh, People who are in shady businesses uh, because they often use those businesses as a front for other kinds of nefarious activity. And... uh, I can remember as a kid, my parents telling us uh, from our years when we lived in New Jersey before coming to Atlanta that uh, nobody pressed the garbage collection company too hard because it was thought that the mob uh, ran the garbage service business. And so it, um, it was, it, it, these are people that you didn't necessarily think to have over uh, if you were having people over for dinner. But yet here is Jesus... A meeting with them. You can imagine Jesus meeting with the mob boss and his associates and how this would scandalize the self-righteous. That why is Jesus doing this? Why is he meeting with these sorts of people? Uh, if he was really a prophet of God, he would know who these people are and he, he would not associate with them. And, and yet, of course, that is exactly what Jesus is doing. So that's the context by which we come to this parable of the, what is commonly called the prodigal son. Now, as I just mentioned, though, I think this really is a parable about two sons, and both of these sons are lost. Jesus here, I think, is making it clear that both groups, the tax collectors and the sinners, and the Pharisees and the scribes, are both estranged from the Heavenly Father, but in different ways. It manifests itself differently in their lives. Now, boys and girls, this is a story that I can put maybe in terms that you might better understand. Let's imagine maybe a brother or a sister of yours does something quite terrible and scandalous. And yet, over time, they repent of that and they ask for forgiveness and they receive forgiveness and they're welcomed back with open and loving arms into the family. But imagine that they get a tremendous party Maybe even an extraordinary birthday party. Uh, 
maybe your parents are going to do something extra special. Maybe you're going to Six Flags. Maybe you're going ice skating or bowling or something. And, and you're doing things that maybe you didn't get to do for ordinary birthday parties. And you might be tempted to say, why, why is he getting such a special birthday party? When I've been here in the house and doing the things I'm supposed to be doing, why, why does my brother or my sister, who's done all these terrible things, made a name for ourselves in the, in the community, among the neighbors, uh, why, why are they getting this extraordinary and lavish kind of birthday party in light of everything they just did this past year? Well, here we're going to learn something about the grace of God in the gospel. And what we're going to see in this story here is that both the older and the younger brother are in need of grace. It's not that one of them needs grace and the other does not. But what we find here is that both children are estranged from the father and they need to understand the gospel as it relates to them in their own context, in their own situation here. So this is a parable, I will contend, for two lost sons. Not one, but two. The Pharisees and the tax collectors are alienated from the father, but the Pharisees and the scribes are alienated from the father as well. What I'm going to do is divide this into two parts. First of all, verses 11 to 24, we're going to focus on the first son, the younger brother. And then secondly, from verse 25 to the end of the chapter, we're going to focus on the second son, the older brother. And we're going to see how the gospel relates to both. Now, look with me at your text here. Notice in verse 11 that the parable, I think, makes the case that I made in the introduction. And he, Jesus said, a man had two sons. The emphasis here is on the two However, he goes on in the next verse to focus on the younger one. And then when we get to verse 25, he'll focus on the older one. But two sons are in view here. So verse 12 says, the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he, the father, divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, let me just comment here that this is something that was common in the days in which Jesus lived, that sons would be given an inheritance and they didn't always have to wait until the father died. There were sometimes cautions, as you could understand, about giving the inheritance too early because sufficient maturity had not set in yet for the son, but the son here is asking for something and, and the father is willing to grant it to him. And that is the, the younger son gets his share of the inheritance and gets it early. But here we see, boys and girls, that the younger brother is not being wise. What does he do? Well, the first thing he does is he leaves the covenant community. He takes his newfound wealth and he leaves the visible church. He goes outside the boundaries of Israel. He goes, we are told, to a far country. And a far country in this parable would be the land of the Gentiles. It would be a a land where there are unbelievers or idolaters, worshipers of other gods. There would be no local church. 
where the younger brother is going. Nowhere where he will be held accountable to stay on the narrow way that leads to eternal life. And he will begin to associate here with bad company. So he begins to spend his inheritance and he begins to live a life of licentiousness. And and he spends, we are told, everything that he has. Now, in addition to his poor stewardship of the father's inheritance, secondly, we see here then a severe famine occurs. So God brings a providential hardship into the life of this young man who has not been walking closely with the Lord. Probably because of the father's love for uh, God's love for this man. God sometimes will do that. If you start drifting from the Lord, God will bring hardships into your life to try and get your attention. Now, that's not to say we want to be Job's friends and we don't want to say any time a hardship comes into a person's life, it's because they're getting away from the Lord. That would be a mistake that Job's friends made. But the Lord does do that sometimes. So here you have a younger man and he's inherited his inheritance, not just financially, but spiritually. He's walked away from the covenants. He has uh, drifted from the law of God and from the word and the hearing of the word. He's no longer in the synagogue or at the temple. He's no longer seeing the sacrifices that point to Jesus Christ. He would still have circumcision upon his body. He cannot escape that any more than you children can escape the fact that you've been baptized in Jesus Christ. And that that carries with you wherever you go. Now, we see in today that the same thing can happen. Sometimes young people can walk away from the church. They walk away from their godly upbringing and godly parenting. They walk away from a Bible-believing church with Bible-believing preaching. And they are walking away from all the inheritance that they have been given. And I want to say, boys and girls, you've been given a great inheritance. You, You need to realize the tremendous privilege that you have as children being raised in a Christian home with godly parents who love you, pray with you, for you, read the Bible to you, bring you to church each Sunday where you hear the preaching of God's word. This is a a tremendous inheritance. And I hope you will appreciate it and thank the Lord for your parents and thank the Lord for his grace in your life. But sometimes young people will move away from the Lord and they'll make decisions that are unwise. And so here a young man begins to make unwise decisions and he's brought into a desperate strait. Notice in verse 14, we are told that when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So the Lord brings him into a very low condition. He, he is out of money. And so what does he do? He hires himself out to one of the citizens of that faraway country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Of course, that probably... It shows how desperate this man is because being a Jew, here he is put with the unclean animals and he is feeding the unclean animals. Thing, an, an animal, a pig, boys and girls, would be something that a Jew would not have anything to do with because the, the pig was viewed as ceremonially unclean. They would not touch the pig. They would not uh, eat the pig. 
They would have nothing to do with such an animal. And here he is so hungry that we are told in verse 16, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving him anything, giving anything, excuse me, to him. So here he's in a faraway country amongst unbelievers. Financially, he is desperate. He is now living with unclean animals. No one is helping him because this is, again, this is an uncharitable country. It's not a country that knows the gospel and they care more about the pigs than they do about the man. And so this is where the Lord begins to work in his life. And this is where the son, we are told, begins to come to his senses. God has brought him to a place here where he realizes he could have it better back in his father's house. But what I want you to see here is that the younger brother still doesn't necessarily understand the gospel yet. He's beginning to turn. He's beginning to show remorse for what he's done. He is beginning to repent, but he still isn't fully understanding the gospel. Now, why do I say that? Well, notice what he says. He comes to his senses and he figures here, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. So listen to the words of the son. He says, I will get up and I will go to my father. Great. And will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. That's good. He's confessing his sin. He realizes he sinned first and foremost against God, against heaven. And he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So far, so good. But notice here in verse 19, he says, make me as one of your hired men. There's where I would argue the younger son still hasn't learned the gospel and that the father is going to have to teach him the gospel. What's going on here, boys and girls? Let me see if I can explain it to you young kids. He's gotten into a bad situation and he realizes that things are better at his dad's house. In fact, he realizes that the servants, the slaves at his dad's farm live better than he's living. He's he is destitute. He's without shoes. We know because the father will tell him to get the shoes, put them on the son. He's living as a slave and worse. And he's saying, you know, even my dad's servants live better than I'm living. And he says, so I'll go back home. But what does he try to do? He tries to go back to the father on terms of his own uh, merit. That is, he said, make me as one of your hired men. Make me as a servant, as a slave. It would be like this. It would be like trying to come back to God after you've walked away from God by trying to be a good person. You see, what the younger brother is doing is he's trying to come back to the father on the terms of the older brother. How is it that the older brother lives? Well, we're going to see that the older brother lives on the terms that I do these things and that's why I'm on this farm and that's the relationship I have with the father. And what the younger brother is trying to do is he is trying to incorporate a works righteousness into his understanding of reconciliation with the father. Does that make sense? 
The son is trying to earn his way back onto the farm. He is basically saying, I'll be a good boy. If you will just have me back on the farm, I will be good and I will try to do good things. Maybe you've seen that in your own kids. They've they've messed up. They've done something. They know they're in trouble. And they, they try to compensate or maybe overcompensate for the sin by being extra good. The extra good boy, the extra good girl. And here's the problem, boys and girls, with this. Trying to be good is not going to atone for our past mistakes and sins. You can't do enough good in your future to make up for the past. The other thing that you need to realize is that is not even the basis on which the Father wants a relationship with you. Here's the struggle that so many of us who grow up in the church face. It is, it is to slip into this kind of self-righteous thinking. That I am in my father's house because I do X, Y, and Z. I go to Sunday school. I have family devotions. I do my quiet time. I don't do the bad things that other kids in the neighborhood do. And it is on the basis of these things that I do and these things that I don't do. That is how I get standing with God. And this is this is what the prodigal son was thinking in the, in the same way. The older brother and the younger brother have the same worldview. It's just that it worked out differently in their lives based on what they did and didn't do. The problem in this parable is that the older brother and the younger brother need the gospel. The Pharisees need the gospel. And the sinners, the tax collectors need the gospel. The point is, all of us need the gospel. All of us need to realize that the basis of our relationship with the Heavenly Father is on the basis of grace through faith in Him. It is not of our works. It is not of the works of the older brother who stayed on the farm. And it is not on the basis of future works that the younger brother hopes to do in order to be on the farm. Both of these brothers were trying to have a relationship with the father based on works. And the father will have none of it. Notice what happens. I want you to see several things. First of all, notice that the father is looking for the son to come back. He is scanning the horizon, we are told, and that should say something about our heavenly father's disposition towards Those who are raised in the covenant and stray away from the church. The father, the heavenly father, is scanning the horizon for those prodigal children to return. Notice here, verse 20. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him. And notice here, number one, he felt compassion. Number two, he ran. Now, according to commentators, some commentators, that's just not something a mature adult Israelite would do. Number three, he embraced him and kissed him. He showed him filial love and affection as a father unto a son. 
And so the son begins to repeat his rehearsed lines. Verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But then notice the father cuts him off. After that confession, the father cuts him off. Why? Because the father introduces the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was the son going to say after he said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son? He was going to say, Father, make me as one of your hired men. And the father will have none of that. The father will not have the younger son back on the terms of him being a slave. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, we, we are not slaves, but we are sons of Abraham. And the first thing that the father does is he reconfirms after this confession and repentance and return, the father reaffirms the adoption, the sonship of this younger son. What does he do? He says, quickly, bring out the best robe. That would be something that the family would have, maybe a family emblem or crest on it. Put it on him. Put on a ring on his hand. The, the signet ring. Showing that he is a member of the family. Put sandals on his feet. Demonstrate that he's not a slave. Slaves wore no shoes often. But he's a son. My son will wear shoes. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Now, I I don't want to make too much of that verse, but it may have atonement implications there. The slaughtering of the animal. the, The blood that is shed. Uh, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, we are told. Uh, The provision for the party comes by way of the sacrifice. And I think it is true for us. The provision that we have to be in the family of God is based on Jesus Christ shedding his blood on the cross for you and me. So I'm going to say a few things by way of application. Maybe you are the prodigal in this story. Maybe you have been a prodigal in this story. What is the basis on which you become a part of the family again is on the basis of what Jesus has done for you. Why? Because it is that basis which any of us are part of the family. Whether you have gone into a far country or whether you have always remained at home, The basis of our relationship with the Father is on Jesus Christ and Him alone. His perfect life. Not your future perfect life. Jesus' perfect life. His active obedience, His passive obedience, His going to the cross, His wearing our sins, being a substitute for us and dying for us, that we might come and partake of his sacrifice, that we might eat of his body by faith, that we might drink of his blood and be a part of him and be in union and communion with the perfect one. For that is the only way to be in communion with the Father, is to receive the sacrifice that the Father has for you. If you have gotten away from the Lord, if you're listening maybe on the Internet, have drifted away from the Lord. Notice here the Father is seeking your return, but the return must always be on the basis of what Jesus has done, not on the basis of what you may do for him in the future. Prodigals 
are welcome. Prodigals are wanted. The father is looking for prodigals to return. He is, heaven rejoices when one repents. But there is going to be no probationary servanthood. There will be no probationary enslavement. It will be on the basis of Christ. What do you do if you have sinned and fallen away from the Lord? You do what the father does here for the son, the younger brother. You look to the sacrifice. You put the family ring on. Christ's sacrifice, the ring of adoption. These are your emblems. You look to your baptism and you make good on your baptism. That you recognize you were always a part of the family. And that your return to the family is on the basis of the gospel. So that's the the first son there. The first son didn't understand the gospel and so the father makes it clear. The son is welcomed back. He is given and, and granted full status as a son. Despite all his sin and wandering, he is back as a full Fledged member of the family, but it is on the basis of grace. Now, let's turn to the older brother. Because the older brother has the same fundamental problem. He just works it out differently in his life. And here's where we have to speak to those of you who have not wandered away from the Lord. There's maybe a sense that you can identify with both brothers in your life. I would think it's strange if you couldn't identify in some degree with both. But the, the, the older brother here in verses 25 to the end has the same fundamental problem. He doesn't leave church. He, he doesn't walk away visibly from the faith. He's there every Sunday. He's in Sunday school. He's there on Wednesdays. But his heart still is estranged from the father because he is staying in the house of God under a system of his own works and self-righteousness. And so there is a sense that the older brother here is as far from Jesus and the gospel as the younger brother, though it's more clear, it's more manifest. And, and that's the that's the difficult thing. That's one of the reasons you know, kids, we, when we have you interview, we, as we're going to see Levi here give his testimony, his vows, his profession of faith, we, 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 we try to hear something from you experientially, too, to, to make certain that this is not just mere cognition, giving us the right answers, uh, doing the right things. But do you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because sometimes people who never leave are as far away from the Father as those who run far away. That's the danger for us who are here every Sunday. So look now at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came, he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. So there's great celebration here because of the return of the younger brother. Just as Jesus told us last week in the first two parables, that there is rejoicing in heaven. Heaven's view is one of joy and happiness when sinners repent. And so he hears the music and he hears the dancing and he's wondering, what does this mean? 
What could this possibly mean? Why would there be music and dancing in my father's house right now? And so he summons one of the servants and the servant begins to tell him what it is. He said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But notice here in verse 28, and this is this is where I think we have the first indication there's a problem. In verse 28, it says he became angry. Now, I think that's significant because I think when we become angry at the repentance of somebody else. We know we have a problem when we become angry that somebody has embraced the gospel. There's a problem. You know, Sinclair Ferguson has speculated that that this was the problem with Saul. He saw in the countenance of Stephen something he realized he did not have. Stephen is being stoned for his commitment to Jesus Christ. And his face looks like that of an angel. And Saul, who has been trying his hardest from his youth up to be as zealous and as close to God as possible, realizes in that one moment he does not have what Stephen has. And it makes him angry and he votes against Stephen and he holds the coats of those who are stoning Stephen. And in wrath and in anger, he then goes off and begins to persecute the rest of the church, even driving up to Damascus to get them, even to arrest women and put them in jail for the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a problem if your response to the gospel is one of anger. If you find yourself siding in some degree with the Pharisees over and against Jesus, there's a problem with your understanding of the gospel. He became angry and notice here he was not willing to go in. He what what is another indication that you are estranged from God is you will not receive those who have repented. Until you get your pound of flesh from them. That you will not be reconciled to them who have sinned. Unless they do something, unless they take the position of a slave. You will not be reconciled on the basis of grace through faith. Your attitude towards repenting sinners says a lot about your own understanding of your own relationship with God and your own understanding of the gospel. People who know Jesus Christ, people who love Jesus Christ, people who understand the gospel and recognize how many sins they have been forgiven of themselves. They are ready to forgive others. They are ready to extend the forgiveness which they feel like they have been bathed in. Recognizing that they have this sense that there is this infinite amount of grace that has no height, width, depth or breadth being given unto them. That they themselves being the chief of sinners, how could they not welcome and receive another sinner who repents and believes? The problem often with those who will not receive sinners is because they themselves have not been received by faith in Jesus Christ. They don't view themselves. The older brother does not view himself as the chief of sinners, does he? And because he does not view himself as the chief of sinners. It is impossible for him to extend grace to a younger brother. 
And so he's unwilling to go in. He is unwilling to be reconciled to his younger brother. He will not commune with his younger brother. He will not fellowship with him. And so what does the father do? Now, this is the encouraging thing. The father comes out to the older brother. The father goes out to the prodigal who he sees at a distance, but he also goes out to the Pharisee. Jesus is going out to both groups in this parable. He's going out to the notorious sinner. He's going out to the self-righteous sinner. And he is offering himself to both. One of the commentaries I read, Leon Morris, it said that it's interesting that this parable is left open-ended. We, we don't know the resolution to this parable. And in a way, it was left open-ended, the commentator thought, because Jesus leaves it open-ended with us. And with those that he was speaking this parable to for the first time, as he preached to the crowd of sinners and Pharisees, he was essentially saying, I, as my father's ambassador, are coming to you and I'm inviting you both in. Whether you be the younger brother who has gone to a far country or whether you be the Pharisee here, you are both invited to the party to come in and to celebrate with those who are repenting here. But he wouldn't. What does he do? The father's pleading with him to come in. But he says what? For so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. Notice that the self-righteous retreat to a sense of entitlement. I deserve to be in heaven. Because I've been a good Christian kid. I deserve to be in heaven. Because I always went to church on Sunday. Because I always showed up for the prayer meeting. Because I was always there in the Sunday school class. Because I always was doing what my parents told me to do. I didn't scandalize my family. I never scandalized my parents. I never scandalized Covenant Presbyterian Church like some of the other kids in the church. I was the good kid. I deserve to be in heaven. I've earned it. And they notice here that the older brother, he feels like he's been cheated. God owes me this. Maybe some of you are frustrated that God hasn't given you something in your life. And maybe you're thinking, I've been faithful to you, Lord. And you haven't given me You've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. I've never neglected a commandment of yours. And then he says, when this son of yours, notice here, suddenly the son is the, the father. The father's related to him, but not him. He didn't say this brother of mine. He said this son of yours. Almost kind of shifting the blame. This son of yours who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now notice here the, what the father says to him and to us. Son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. The, the, the older brother is not being cheated out of his inheritance. <laughs> Any more than you're going to be cheated out of your inheritance because God gives an inheritance to somebody else in the kingdom. 
Your share is not diminished. Because somebody else is getting to share in the kingdom. All that I have, he says, is yours. Son, everything I had belonged to you to begin with. But what does he say? He said we had to celebrate. We had to rejoice. Because in a sense, a miracle, if I can use that term, has taken place here. A work of the Spirit, a work of regeneration has taken place here. A son that was dead and lost has now been brought to life. And we, we need to celebrate that, even as we're about to celebrate here with another communicant profession. God is at work. And we rejoice in that. And we need to celebrate and We need to congratulate those who come up and put their trust in Jesus Christ. But let me ask you this just as we close here. What is your response to the gospel offer, to the pleading of the Father? Whether it's the scanning on the horizon or whether it's pleading with you to come in the house. Will you come to Jesus Christ on his terms? Will you believe on him? Will you trust in him and not in yourself, not in your works? Will you come on his terms, not trying to earn the favor of God somehow? Hoping that if you do enough good things, then Jesus will make up the rest. But coming on the terms of the gospel alone, that it is none of my works, but all of the merit and work of Jesus Christ. Come. The Father wants you to come. Won't you come? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gospel of Christ. And thank you, Lord.